Well, good morning. Feliz Año Nuevo. How's that for that? Uh, not bad, huh? I had to figure that one out um, from my good translator friend. Good morning. Happy New Year to all of you guys. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Paul, and um, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is terrific to be part of you, and, and you're starting your New Year's out. Right. I'm, I'm, I am glad that you're here. I want to celebrate a little bit. Christmas Eve um, was a big thing around here. Actually, it started out for, with quite a bang for me in the morning. I went for an early morning bike ride, and a stick got caught in my front spoke, and physics took over, and I, and I, and I ended up flying over the, over, over the bike. And, and two things I knew were going to happen. One, I knew there's a stick in my spoke, and the second thing, I knew it's going to hurt. And so um, I, I slammed pretty hard. And I'm lay, laying there on the pavement, and there's other guys around me, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I got Christmas Eve. Oh, no, I got Christmas Eve in about you know, eight hours, all that kind of stuff. And I was not going to see a doctor because I, I knew our Christmas Eve service had a lot of bright lights, loud music, and a lot of people. And I knew the doctor would say, stay away from bright lights, loud music, and a lot of people. So we powered through it. I still remember parts of it. I think Jesus was born, but I'm not quite sure about that. But it was, it was a terrific thing. I mean, I mean, we had a whole bunch of people. We packed out the three services. My, 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 my special thanks to the super people who were part of doing the stage decor, the, the, the decorating, lighting, the sound, the greeting. We had a number of greeters, music, the setup, takedown, cleaning. We had to clean this whole place up. There was a tent, food, cutting out ornaments, rehearsals. It was a huge thing. And I want to thank all of you guys that were, that were part of it. I mean, just, just so many people we part of the whole thing. Um, I also want to thank those of you who invited somebody to come. Um, most people actually will connect with a church family and connect with God based on an invitation. That's how they come. And so thank you, particularly those of you that, that reached out to your neighbors and to your friends and your coworkers and, and, and brought them. It was our desire to have 100 people uh, indicate their decision for Jesus Christ, um, for their first-time decision to say, I want Jesus as my Savior, my personal Lord and Savior, by putting an ornament up on the tree in the in the lobby, make sure you take a look at some of those those ornament ornament like that um, there. If you look and if you want to count, the tree is decorated with 103 ornaments. So that's what 103 people. Yeah, and we have roses here to symbolize 103 roses up here to symbolize um, um, all those decisions for Christ. And so we're very very excited. If you are one of them, great. Uh, congratulations and welcome. Uh, to a new life with God. Jesus said you are reborn or kind of born again, and, and that's the best explanation he could give on what it's like and what it feels like. Um, and my prayer is that you would begin to experience growth in faith. I mean, because that's what it is. It's a new relationship with God. Now, now, and this is true whether you made a decision for the very first time or whether you actually made a decision for Jesus a long time ago. It is a relationship with God, and relationships can go up and they can go down, not based on God, because he's always the same. He doesn't change. It's a lot of times based on us, what we do and how we respond to God and, and how maybe desirous we are of, of, of getting close to him. And, and, and sometimes we feel like maybe we step away. And, and, and what I want to do is kind of talk about this morning to kick off the, the new year, um, a sense of, of loving Jesus all over again in, in a very real way. And we're going to be looking at a, at a Bible passage, a story in Luke chapter 7. If you have a Bible or a little e-thing, if you want to go there, you can, or a little phone, you can, you can look at that around verse 35-ish. It's a story we've shared before. We're going to share it again to kick off the new year. Um, and we're going to pray before we go any farther. So let's pray. Okay, God, thank you for these moments and this time now. And I pray that you would um, use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
this is one of those stories where you kind of have to put yourself back in, 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 in it. I almost have to view it as if you were watching it all transpire and happen. So we're going to kind of want to you know, use our imaginations at this point in time. Just kind of imagine a big dinner party that's being given. And, and, and you, are, you were invited. And you arrive early and you're impressed by the place. And it's owned by a guy named Simon. He is the host. And it's obvious that he has done well in his life because it's a, it's a large house and everything is just done right. Servants are there. They're setting out the, you know, the china and the linen and the salsa and chips and all those important things that are there. And, but everything is kind of being done just, just right. It's just right. And Simon comes in, and he's, he's a highly respected religious person in town, one of the top people in, in town, and everyone knows him. He would be wearing his most religious, ornate robes. Um, he is a Pharisee, and that's a group of people that were kind of a very special group. He's very self-assured. Um, that's just, he had to be that way to get into his position. And the guest list um, is like a who's who of the whole community. The mayor's invited, the city fathers, the city council, the president of the Rotary Club, the other Pharisees, experts in religious law. I mean, you kind of get the picture. You know, everyone that's somebody that's in town is, is going to be coming, all the big influencers, all the important people. You basically, if you're somebody, you're, you're, you're coming, you're there, and you're showing up, and you're mingling, and you're doing all that kind of stuff. And if you were to peek on the guest list, Jesus' name is on it, and, and you wonder why Jesus was in, invited, because... Right now, Jesus is called persona non grata, not, not, a, not a high on their list of popular people in town. Um, Simon doesn't like him, and you know it. In fact, none of the politicians really like him because Jesus is now gaining in popularity, and his teaching is kind of not the mainstream. And so the city council doesn't like him, mayor doesn't like him because people are kind of beginning to follow him more. Jesus has been a burr under their saddle for a long time, and, and they would probably prefer him just to kind of quietly go away. And guests arrive, and, and more guests arrive, and, you know, Mayor's wife shows up. Now, Simon is the perfect host, and back in those days, the way a perfect host would respond when a guest would come in is you'd be standing at the door, and, and, a, and the, the guest would walk in, and they would lean forward, and you'd give him a kiss. That's just a sign of respect. And then you, you, would, you would take some oil, and you'd dab it, and you'd, you'd call it anointing. You'd anoint their forehead. It's just kind of a symbolic gesture of you are an honored, important person. And then you would have an assigned seat. And your assigned seat, you'd go and you'd, you'd sit to that spot at the table. And then there a servant would come along with a basin of water and a towel and they'd wash your feet. That's just a sign of respect and honor and also to make sure it doesn't smell too badly in that place right then and there. <laughs> And it's just polite. That's just what you do. I mean, it's just what you do back then. And all the guests are having a good time and conversations going on and, you know, orders are being passed and all that. And Jesus walks in and the place gets real quiet because this is the thing that, well, why is he here? So Simon looks at Jesus and Jesus looks at Simon and Jesus will lean over for his kiss. But Simon just stands there. Awkward. And there's kind of a weird silence because it's Simon's game and Simon's in charge. And so right now, if you're keeping score, Simon won, Jesus zero. And the servant begins to move to wash Jesus' feet, but Simon kind of <clears throat> clears his throat and shakes his head right in front of everybody. No kiss, no foot washing, no nothing. What, what, what's, what's the score? Jesus, Simon, two, Jesus, nothing. 
And there's a special place reserved for Jesus, and it's at the farthest end of the table by the kitchen. Simon 3, Jesus, nothing. You see what's going on here? You understand what's, what's happening here? It's a setup. This whole thing's been set up. Simon is setting Jesus up, and it's designed to humiliate Jesus. Simon's house, Simon's turf, Simon's rules, Simon's friends, and Simon is trying to make a big display that Jesus really is nothing and really belongs nowhere. So Simon blesses the food, and the, the food starts coming out, and the meal's prepared. And then the questions have begin. Because remember, he's kind of stacked the deck here with people that are around the table. And, and the religious leaders are asking Jesus questions, but it's more like an interrogation, trying to trap him, trip him up. Tell me, Jesus, all about healing people on the Sabbath. Isn't that against the law? Or tell me, Jesus, how it's okay to associate with unclean people. Or tell us, Jesus, who gives the authority to, to do these things. You're not a Pharisee. You don't have a Bible degree. You don't have anything. So who are you to be able to do this? You follow what's happening here? And if you'd be watching it, it's fascinating to see what's happened in this setting and in this situation. And in about a half an hour, you would see they've done everything they can to make sure Jesus is put in his place, that maybe he will just slink away and, and never be heard of again. Now, now in the background, and, and, and probably we kind of imagine this being inside a house, it's probably more like on the patio because that's the only place you could fit a lot of people. There's a woman who's probably standing in the background outside, and, and she's watching it all, and, and you know her, you know of her. She's the, she's the town prostitute, okay? And you wonder what she's doing here. But she moves forward in, in, into the group of people, and she's carrying something. And here's now where the Bible kicks in. It says, she knelt behind him, Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume. Well, that wasn't in Simon's script. He didn't write this one out. This is, this is kind of the, the, the wild card of the whole deal. And everybody's looking, and there's dead silence. But Simon's smart. I mean, he didn't get to his position by being stupid. And so he can figure out how to use this to his advantage. In fact, this couldn't be better. He says out loud. This is what he says out loud in front of everybody. He said, this proves that Jesus is no prophet. I mean, can you imagine saying that in front of everybody? Proves Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And he loves this. I mean, this is perfect. So Simon's ready to drill Jesus with another question, but Jesus speaks. Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, this wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, he's supposed to be hitting Jesus with questions. <laughs> All right, teacher, Simon replied. Teacher would be sarcastic, by the way. Okay, teacher. Go ahead. Jesus said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another. Neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, that's that's kind of like, you know, like a softball question. You know, it's easy, maybe too easy. Says this, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. 
That's right, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting, but she's kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. You know, and the room is dead quiet, <laughs> and Simon's thinking, not good, not good, not good, not good, you know, not good, because the thing's gone out of control in like about five sentences, and everyone's now looking at Simon, waiting for him to respond, because Jesus has just basically reversed the whole situation. Do you see it? You see what happened? He just, he just, he turned the whole thing completely around, you know, and he revealed everything about Simon. All of a sudden, Simon's whole life is now revealed. I can imagine, you know, Simon beginning to feel the beginnings of the migraine, you know, because this is not the way it's supposed to happen. And in and, and one sense, I, I, I love this story because I love a good showdown, you know. I love that, you know, the little guy overcomes the big group because this was supposed to be a setup, a trap for Simon to show up Jesus, to show that Jesus was not worth the water to wash his feet. And Jesus turned this thing around. I love epic fails. I just do. And this is one of them. But now the attention is turned on Simon. His lack of courtesy, his inability to care, but also something about forgiveness in his heart and in his life. Then Jesus really gives them something to talk about. He says, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, again, it's surrounded by theologians. And so they're going to ask the question. The man at the table said among themselves, who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? Only God can do that. Only God forgives sins. It would be like me, you know, you get pulled over by the CHP on Highway 1, and me driving up behind and saying, that's okay, officer. I forgive him. He's free to go. You know, he'd look at me and he'd say, you're crazy. You're interrupting. You're interfering. I can't forgive your ticket. Only God can forgive sins. Who is Jesus forgiving this woman's sins? No one in the world has a right to do that but God. Who in the world does Jesus think he is? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go. Now, of course, Jesus can forgive because he is God. And he just played Simon's little game and slammed him. And, and all the people are, you know, whoa, <laughs> what just happened here? The score now, by the way, is Simon 3. Jesus, three billion, you, you know? And, and, and now, the, now picture the scene. The woman leaves happy. I think Jesus is doing great, you know? And everyone is looking at Simon for him to do something. And he's got nothing. He's got nothing. Now keep in mind the dinner party and keep in mind the story and keep in mind Simon and the woman. Because it's not just a story about forgiveness. It's a story about response. And, and this, is, this is where I, I want us to kind of land today. It's our response back to God. It's our response back to Jesus. Not for today and also for tomorrow and also for the rest of 2017. Our response back. Because we see the response in the life of two people, Simon and the woman. And Jesus tells us what a forgiven life is like. 
but a life that has put an ornament on the tree and said, I need that forgiveness and I want to live in relationship with you. First of all, let's just start simple. Forgiveness frees me to express my love to Jesus. The woman did what she did. She didn't care. I mean, you, you, you talk about right in front of everybody. They all knew who she was. They all knew. She was a local prostitute. They all knew what she was doing. They knew exactly what she was doing. She didn't care. Why not? Because she was forgiven. And she poured pretty expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Probably perfume she used for her business, by the way. She also cried by the, by the tears. Have you ever been at a place where something really great happens, like someone gave someone a special gift or you know, something totally unexpected happened, you kind of get emotional about that, or someone did something for you that was totally unexpected? You get a little emotional and you, you get overwhelmed. I think that's what was happening here. And she was honest with what she had done and the amount of forgiveness that she had received. I think that's what happened. And she was not afraid to make Jesus look good because she was forgiven. And, and I think when our identity is forgiveness, we're free to express our love. Jesus, when, he, when, he, when, he's, when he's making the statement to Simon, he says something kind of basically like this. He says, I'm going to make it real simple for you, Simon, real simple. If you're forgiven much, you'll love me much. If you're forgiven a whole lot, you'll love Jesus a whole lot. If you're forgiven only a little, you'll only love Jesus, what? A little. There's a third one that Jesus leaves out, and I think he leaves that out on purpose. If you aren't forgiven at all, you won't love Jesus, what? At all. You see what he's doing? Simon hates Jesus. This woman loves Jesus. He who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. He's not forgiven at all. Doesn't love God at all. Um, one of the songs we sang um, was a furious love that gives waste to my sin. That's the kind of love he had for, for us. Furious love. I like that. It gave waste. It destroyed my sin. And, and I think it gets to the point of the story, you can gauge your forgiveness level on how much you love Jesus Christ. This is what he's trying to say. And I think God wants us to find ourselves in this incident, in the story and in the parable. He who is forgiven much loves much, loves much, because we continually revisit how much forgiveness we've received. It amazes me year after year, day after day, as God peels back me, how much sin is still there. Maybe it's always been there. It'll always. And I'm trying to root it all out. And another layer peels back and it just gets deeper. But he's forgiven me for that. He who has been forgiven much loves much. Second is forgiveness frees me to be honest about myself. And this is part of the story. If you compare Simon and the woman from the street, I mean, they're complete opposites. What does Simon have going for him? He's religious, which counts for nothing, by the way, in God's eyes. He's in charge. He's righteous in his own mind. He's self-righteous and prideful and thinks he's better than everybody else. The woman, what did she have going for her? Not much. By society standards, she was as low as you go. Lousy life, but she was forgiven. And that means she could be honest about her faults and her problems and what she was in her life. Simon has to put on a show, a life is all a show. Tell me who's more free. Tell me who has freedom in this life. 
I, I have a lot of friends in recovery, and God, there's so many. They're great people. There's so many healthy things that happen in that. I think one of them is just simply every time you talk, you have to say, my name is such and such, and I'm a alcoholic or I'm an addict. I can be free about my sin. It doesn't matter because it's forgiven. I can be free about it. I can be free that I'm a sinner because it's, it's, it's forgiven. Forgiveness, what it does is it gives you the freedom to be honest about you and yourself, and you can be free that you're not perfect and your identity is no longer what you do. It's how forgiven you are. Again, I've told you this so many times. I hate the term Sunday best. We have to put on our Sunday best. Why? This is the time we can put on our worst because this is the time we can come with grace and forgiveness and love with fellow people that have received grace and forgiveness and love. Last one, finally, and this is from the words of Jesus, forgiveness frees me to experience peace. The Bible says this, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Notice that your faith, not your religion, your faith, you just believe that I can forgive and he will. And when he says go in peace, that's the word shalom, and we may be familiar with that, that word. It's a cool word, and it means healing wholeness, not just, you know, peace, you know, like the term I always use, in peace. not just a healing wholeness. It means a healing wholeness that you can experience day by day, an ongoing sense of contentment that when God looks at you, he'll no longer see the wrongs of the past, complete, perfect contentment. Before she got the peace, he said, your sins are forgiven. You see how this thing tied up, tied it so well? Um, peace comes from knowing that I am forgiven by faith in what Jesus Christ came to do, to die, die for me, to do that. And we have the elements that are here, the communion elements, and we're going to kick off the new year by remembering once again the forgiveness that we have that is available to those of us who not by religion and not by coming to church but who by faith have said, I want this for me. I want to be forgiven much, and I want to love much. And I'm going to invite the worship team. They're going to come on up now, and they're going to, they're going to do a song in just a second, and, and we're going to kind of prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, um, what we would call it, or communion, or the Eucharist, or however you want to term it. There's a great verse that says um, in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, by faith, it's by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It's not because we come to church, it's not because we attend church or anything like that. We've been re- made right in God's sight by faith because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And on, on either, either side of me, we, we, we have, um, and in the back too, for those of you that are back there, we have... Um, bread and the cup and the bread symbolizes something. We just celebrated a week ago, Christmas, God came down. Jesus Christ came down. God himself. When Jesus says, take this, this is my body, he's saying, I became flesh for you. Now he became flesh so that he could die because the wages of sin is death, the penalty of death. And that's what the cup symbolizes, the blood of Jesus shed for us. And what we're going to do is, as they play the song, you're going to invite to come forward and, and take the cup and the bread and go back. Hold on to it in your seat, if you would. We as a family will take together in, in unity. Let me pray, okay? God, thank you for um, 
a furious love that gave waste to my sin, just destroyed it. And thank you, God, that you make it easy for us to have a relationship, a whole relationship with you. It's not based on duty. It's not based on religion. It's just based on a relationship and faith in you. If you're here this morning, and maybe you're saying, I don't love Jesus very much. I would pray that you would understand how much he's forgiven you. You would realize that he paid the penalty for you. That's what a cross is about. And that's love for you. And that you might, as you take the Lord's Supper, either realize for the very first time that furious love, or maybe all over again. And may this brand you for 2017 of a love that dies for you. God, thank you that we can do this now in Jesus' name.